Do you consider yourself to be wise? It feels like a trick question, right? I mean, you don't want to say no and imply you're a fool. An answer yes seems like you're setting yourself up. It's like asking, how humble are you? I mean, only the arrogant are going to answer, I'm extremely humble. Comedians don't announce that they're funny. They show you that they're funny. Same thing with humility. People show you their humility. Like beauty. Like wisdom. Wisdom is like that. You know it when you see it. We don't self-proclaim wisdom. So, do you consider yourself to be wise? Seems like you really only have a few options with that. I mean, maybe you would answer it the way Jesus might answer it, with another question. Do you consider yourself to be wise? Can't you hear Jesus saying, wisdom? What is wisdom to you? Or maybe like his half-brother James, how would James answer that question? James, you consider yourself to be wise. I consider my life to be like a vapor. That's how I picture James. See what I did there? I, I, I gave Jesus like this profound voice and James this more gruff, direct. You're kind of wondering, if he, is he mad? That's my best James impression. And uh, if you've been following along the series, uh, you know that we've been uh, messing around with some impressions. Pastor John did a really great impression of, of his mother. Uh, Brian did a, a, a Pastor Brian did a, an impression of of, uh, of James's himself, explaining that like you know James probably doesn't have the best bedside manner. No impression is more memorable than the impression that Pastor David Morielli gave us with his Boston accent. I mean, it was a mix between Tony Soprano and Rocky Balboa, one guy from New York, one guy from Philly. I mean, maybe Rocky Balboa is a little intoxicated. And was getting hit in the face while drowning. Other than that, it was spot on. But remember, remember these these impressions and and try to have a a voice uh, for James in your mind because James is going to be speaking to us uh, throughout today and throughout the remainder of this uh, this series. We're in week five in our series called Deep and Wise. And we've covered a lot of ground. Vision for wisdom, wisdom for hard times, wisdom for action, and last week, wisdom about mercy ruling. And today we're skipping ahead a little bit to the second half of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, and and we'll be focused on making our life plans, and what do we do with our wealth, and what about kingdom building, and empire building, and what are we really building? I want to share with you a little bit of context first. I know throughout the year we, we mentioned our teaching team a few times, uh, it's our hope that we can kind of give you a little bit of the background of how we, how some of these messages originate. Collectively, we under, undergo a series of conversations and questions. We ask the Lord to illuminate our path forward. We ask what is going on in the, in the lives throughout our congregation and throughout our community. And what about for those who are not yet part of our church? What's going on in their lives? We ask in light of the ground that we've already covered, where do we need to go next? What are people hungry for? Where are their pain points? Where can joy and meaning and love and hope be found? Before we knew it, we we started talking about how it it feels that we're in this broken, violent, and troubling world. And and in such a place, we desire wholeness and healing and clarity. And then when we attach the complexities of the world and the countless cultural and personal conversations around us, we find ourselves aching for wisdom. So long story short, as you know, we've arrived at the book of James. 
And as we were breaking down this epistle in, in certain sections that we all kind of take turns kind of just sharing what is on our minds and kind of on our hearts, I, I, I found myself talking a lot about these two particular sections. And they were so accommodating uh, that they, we decided uh, that we would change uh, the order of the preaching so that I could preach uh, the, the, these texts today. So I'm grateful for that. And so we want to look at chapter 4, and I'll read, I'll read that to you, and we'll look at it at the beginning of chapter 5. Let's read. It says in verse 13, Now look here, you people who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make some money. You have no idea what the next day will bring. What is your life? You're a vapor which appears for a little while and disappears again. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and we shall do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your pride and all such boasting is evil. So then, if anyone knows the right thing to do but doesn't do it, it becomes sin for them. Whenever you hear an apostle say, now look here, oh, look out. Again, James is direct, passionate. He doesn't sugarcoat. And I kind of wonder, is, is he mad? I mean, back in the book of Acts, James is identified as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He is at the center of the Jews and Gentiles debate on whether or not Gentile converts need to be circumcised. And he gives a powerful speech. And you would see that it's simple, clear, direct, maybe even adamant. Here in this part of the book, James, we see that similar personality. Look here. Let me tell you something. Pay attention. Those of you who say we have made these great plans, these great long-term plans, we've identified a market and a specific demographic, and once we execute our perfectly designed strategy, we will increase our profit and deposit our checks easy peasy. James says, look out. You don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. What is your life? You are one heart attack, one aneurysm, one terminal diagnosis away of being yesterday's news. Look here, you are a mist, a vapor, which appears for a little while and then disappears again. What's even worse is that you have the audacity, the arrogance to boast about this. And when you do this, that is sin. Ouch. This is definitely why James came in second in every popularity contest with his brother Jesus. I mean, Jesus tells people, God the Father knows the number of hairs on your head, clothes the birds in the air. How much more will, will God provide for you? James says, you're a vapor. <laughs> if we're not careful, we'll miss the depth and wisdom of this passage. At first, it looks like James is mad at business people making plans for travel. Is that what he's saying? No. What if we said, to avoid all this, we said, today or tomorrow, we're just going to stay home. In fact, we're going to stay home all year. Do our thing. In fact, we're going to do nothing. Make no money. In fact, go into significant debt. We just don't want James mad at us for making plans. Is that what James is saying? Don't make any long-term plans. Don't utilize your skills of strategy or your experience to be effective in life and throughout your career. Is James saying better to make no plans and just shrug your shoulders and cross your fingers and hope for the best? Is that a picture of godliness? Is that wisdom? No. No to all these questions. 
James is not making an indictment against planning or against strategic thinking or against business models. James is making an indictment against arrogance. And even more so, against not surrendering your will to the Lord's will. That's what he's telling us. Let's reread verses 15 and 17. He says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live, and we shall do, we shall do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your pride, and all such boasting is evil. So then if anyone knows the right thing to do but doesn't do it, it becomes sin for them. Make your diligent plans. Craft your careful analysis. Plan your execution of, of this plan. And this is the key then. Then submit it to the Lord. Submit it and see if it is the Lord's will. Because if we don't, that is the form of boasting or flaunting in front of God. So in faithful prayer, we say, Lord, do these plans honor you? Lord, will you bless these plans? Lord, is there anything I need to change in these plans? Lord, we ask you for strength. Lord, we ask you for goodness. Lord, we ask you for wisdom. We surrender to you what you would have us do with it. Scripture always directs us to life with God in order that we would avoid our own arrogance and our own self-centeredness and to avoid all the destructive patterns that we're prone to, often at the expense of others and sometimes at the expense of our own souls too. Conversely though, a life with God leads to humility and the blessings found in community and fulfilling mission, joy even at times, and often wisdom which leads to a well-lived life accompanies that. And all that even, still, were just vapor. Well, similarly, James has a warning in chapter 5. And it begins like this. Now look here, you rich. Weep and wait for the horrible things that are going to happen to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will bear witness against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. You have stored up riches in the last days. Look, you cheated the workers who moved your field, who mowed your fields by keeping back their wages. And those wages are crying out. The cries of the farm workers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived off the fat of the land in the lap of luxury. You have fattened your own hearts on the day of slaughter. You have condemned the righteous one and killed him, and he doesn't resist you. Wow. Often there's a lot of reactions to these verses. One is defensiveness. Another could be denial. And hopefully a third, could we can appreciate the context and the message that James is bringing here. First, let's talk about the denial part. Did you say the rich? <laughs> yeah, that's not me. And maybe you want to just, you're tempted to sit back and see who James is going to beat up next. Before you do that, consider this. When it comes to the global population, many of us, not all, but many of us are living in comparison with the rest of the world, we would be considered amongst the wealthiest on our planet. If you're receiving this message somewhere in the Boston area, there's a high probability that you're among the top 10 to 20% of the wealthiest people on our entire planet. You may not feel that way, I know. But in comparison to the global population, you very well might be. You can see for yourself. You can go online and, and play with those online calculators from various websites 
uh, that determine like how wealthy am I in comparison to the rest of the world? They all differ in some way, but chances are if you're in the American middle class and up, you will see that in comparison to the global population, you're among the wealthiest on our planet. So you may be a wealthy vapor. Now, before you run out and buy a second yacht, let's see what James is saying. And again, we have to be careful as this is one of those passages that if we read it too fast and too literal, we might think that James is angry specifically with us. So let's take a closer look at the context of who James is writing to. Those first words, now look here, you rich. In this context, James has a very specific people in mind. In fact, as he's writing the book, his audience is changing a little bit. We realize that he has multiple audiences to whom he is writing. One audience is the Christian faithful. Biblical scholars estimate that about 80% of first century Christians were amongst the poor. And indeed, there were wealthy Christians, some mentioned in the book of Acts and various other points of the New Testament. But as we look at these next set of verses, we realize that's not who James is directing his rebuke to. He's calling out the elite religious establishment of the time. They could have been at the top tier of that Jewish pharisaical system, like members of the Sadducees and the Herodians. They were among the wealthiest of the Jewish leaders who had a a relationship, who had protection, and also a form of shared leadership with Rome. There were other classes and groups, but we'll leave it there. The elite establishment of the day. James is calling them out. Look, you cheated the workers who mowed your fields by keeping back their wages. And those wages are crying out. The cries of the farm workers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, and you have lived off the fat of the land in the lap of luxury. You have fattened your hearts on a day of slaughter. And in this part again, you have condemned the righteous one and killed him, and he doesn't resist you. These were the wealthy leaders who owned a lot of the land and employed many of the working class. And Jesus himself would also call out these leaders. They were among the accusers of Jesus, which James reminds everyone about. You condemned the righteous one and killed him. He let you do this to him. The judgment is is in the verses right before. Weep and wait for the horrible things that are going to happen to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and the rust will bear witness against you, and you will eat up your flesh like fire. You have stored up the riches in the last days. Here, James is echoing Jesus as well as other prophets. Verses 2 and 3, moth and rust are an echo of of how Jesus' warnings are about not storing treasures for yourself, because they will be eaten by moths, and precious metals will rust. And be thrown in some pit of Hades language of eating up your flesh like fire as well. Verse 5 says, you have lived off the, the fat of the land in the lap of luxury. That's reminiscent to Jesus' story of Lazarus and the rich man in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 16. James is calling out the religious elite of his day who oppressed their own Jewish people. And the same people who let that mob crucify Jesus. Now, while there are certain specificities in connection to James's audience, there is a message for us to examine and learn from as well. And today, for today's world, consider what theologian N.T. Wright says specifically about this passage. He says, it resonates, of course, with many parts of today's world. We may be weary of saying it and hearing it, 
But the way the global economy is set up is designed to produce more or less the same effect as the ancient Judean economy, with most of the money flowing steadily in one direction. This is reproduced again and again, more locally, as small groups of powerful people make sure they possess not just enough, but more than enough. And then more again, while others starve and beg with inside of them. No doubt, like the Jerusalem elite, the rich will then pour scorn on the poor. They deserve it. They're lazy. They don't know what life is all about. But the church must keep James chapter 5, 1 through 6 at its elbow and must continue to speak out against the wickedness, not only individual, but also systemic, that colludes with such a situation. Now, Bishop Wright, one of the most gifted theologians that we have in the Western world, continues that anyone who has, who has, has part of this will have their heart, anyone who's a part of this will have their hearts hardened, as that's the only way to continue on this destructive path and avoid repentance. You have to harden your heart. May we not do that. May we not be among that type of religious establishment. So what do we do with all this? Speaking candidly and personally, for years I feel like I've lived in in the mix of, of all the responses. I feel like I've experienced the guilt for the blessings that I've enjoyed and more guilt for the limits of my ability to, to give and serve. I try, but I'm limited. Maybe you can relate. Wealth, when, when compared with the global world, yes. And at times, I think twice when making purchases at various stores. So I, I, I understand my, my place in the world. But like I also am sometimes uh, scared by the, the sticker shock when I'm at a store. I've given and I've served in various contexts. I've, I've gone on mission trips and I've served with local agencies uh, with some consistency. And I've served within the context of relationships. And I'm sure you have too. And we've often gone beyond all of this. And often it feels like it's not enough. Perhaps you have rationalized that I can only do so much, especially in such an expensive part of the country. And maybe like me, you have little ones hoping to support family for for the countless short-term and long-term expenses ahead. Do we move? And where do we move to? And I don't want to move. Do we pull, pull out of all activities and comforts and limit provisions? What wisdom can be found in how we spend our time, our resources, and how we order and direct our lives? Adding to this, I've seen religious leaders and influencers Tell us that they've sold their possessions and they've moved far away to the poorest corners of the world. And they tell us to do the same. And then they return and they, and they write books and receive extraordinary conference and speaker fees that would, would take many of us like a decade to earn. Now, to be clear, I know that sounds cynical. What others earn for their talent and their experience and their brand, that's, that's their own business and that's their own concern. But all of this has moved me to continue to revisit my calling, my place, my path, and the reaches and limits to my power. And I find James is helpful here. One of the key lessons that we can take from James's warning to the religious elite is the warning against building our own lives at the expense of others. James is saying, woe to those who are cheating their workers, exploiting others, oppressing and living in luxury while those worked for them, suffer. The inverse of this would be good for us to consider. 
Blessed are you who care for the needs of others. Those of you who give generously, and not only financially, but to those who give out, who give out of their time and out of the, their energy and out of the wealth of their soul. These are some of the conversations that we're having at the gathering evening service on the first three Sunday nights of the month over in Wilmington. A lot of these conversations are, are, are having are kingdom conversations that include topics like racism and our materialism, creation care, greed, and recently on Christian nationalism. How do we seek first the kingdom of God and express healthy patriotism? These are conversations that we're having there. Now, putting both of these passages of James' words together, we can have this takeaway. There is great wisdom in intentionally surrendering our plans and ambitions, our wealth and power, and ultimately our lives to God. We must consider James' hyperbolic metaphor here that we're just mist, we're just a vapor, here now, gone soon after. But let's live well. I think about what this might look like in real life, and I'm reminded by a few people that I have met along the way. Truly, I've been fortunate to have met some really amazing people who have given generously and sacrificially in numerous types of ways. Many years ago, in the first church that I served at, I, I remember this conversation with a man who in so many words said to me, everyone's good at something. I happen to be good at making money. Now, he was the first person to ever say it to me like that, so it's memorable to me. He said, I, I buy something for a dollar and I sell it for two dollars, and I've learned which things I can make a profit on, but what I can't do he said, I can't get anyone to listen to me. I have no powers of persuasion. And I fell right into it. I was like, oh, come on, people listen to you. And he's like, no, clearly, no, they don't. His point was that he could earn and give, advise maybe, but, but he couldn't teach. He couldn't articulate past his particular experience. He could, yeah, he could never teach a small group or lead a kid's town class. And, and as much as I appreciate him for being a wonderful guy, I had a hard time even seeing him as a youth leader. But do you know what he became good at? I think he would say, outside of being a generous giver, he became an extraordinary listener, which led the way for him to mentor young entrepreneurs and small business owners. He's the type of guy that could have just kept making plans to make more and more money and repeat that cycle until he died. But in addition, in addition to having a successful career, he got involved in the life of his church, challenged himself to make a few key relationships, and the Lord kept working in him in a number of ways. Similarly, years ago, also in a different church, there was this young woman who I'll never forget. And when she arrived from, from having graduated college, she probably didn't have two pennies to rub together and a car that we were hoping that was going to get her wherever she needed to go. But amongst her skills was the power to gather people, the power to befriend and support and give advice to and build and sustain relationships. You could say she, maybe she didn't have a lot of cash in the bank, but she had extraordinary relational wealth. She was an amazing youth leader, an influencer to her peers and to those older than her, including myself. She still faithfully serves God's kingdom in all sorts of ways today. I find her so inspiring. And if I may, I, I think of my own parents and their careers and their lives. 
My dad was a dentist and he retired a few years ago. And my mom was an accountant. And later my mom brought her accounting skills to, to my dad's office and ran his office and pursued other ventures. And recently my, my dad and I were reflecting on life and on faith and ambition. And it's interesting to hear certain conversations that you used to have with your dad a few decades ago and, and how they've changed over the years. My dad was a bit of an overachiever in his academic days. And he always had a lot of drive. And he said, but somewhere along the way in his professional life, he said, God helps me realize that although I could probably make more money if I pushed this further and harder, I knew it would change me in likely damaging ways. And it might damage my marriage and my, my relationship with my children and my faith in the Lord. And then he said, I'm grateful that God spared me and blessed me. I have these amazing immigrant parents who were among the many that supported their own parents, sending money back home to Egypt and, and, and later supporting missionaries abroad and also supporting their churches here while raising their kids and sending them off to school. I realize how fortunate I and my family am to have front row seats to, to people like them. And I'm sure you have people like this in your life as well. I hope you do. These are well-lived lives as well as countless other stories around us, including here at Grace Chapel. Do you know that there's a gentleman here who's building a brand new hotel in the center of Boston? And his wife is an amazing business strategist at the same time. I mean, talk about a power couple, but also humble, generous, compassionate people. All of us and everyone I've described, all of us still have our brokenness in some, in some form. All of us flawed in some way, but all of us hopefully pursuing an active repentance with the Lord. These lives are not lost in boasting or in empire building, but instead pursuing the will of God in community with others for the flourishing of the world. And so friends, what's your story going to be? Are you feeling wiser? Be careful how you answer that. What would James say to you and to me today? Likely he would be direct and blunt, but hopefully he would remind us of our humble place in this world, like vapor. And if the wisdom from James can get our attention, ah, then perhaps we can move, it would move us to live more like Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful for the great wisdom that we might find that might help us surrender our plans and our ambitions and our wealth and our power, ultimately, our lives to you, Lord. We ask you for this wisdom. We ask you, Lord, in the words of the psalmist, to teach us, to number our days. Give us this type of humility, this wisdom. But may we also be ambitious and courageous for your kingdom that we would live blessed lives and that these lives would be a blessing to those around us, to those who are marginalized, to our neighbors, to, to, our, to those who we have ideological differences with. And we'd be a blessing to all these people and more, from loved ones to, to distant ones. May you help us with this, Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.